Hey everyone, my name is Randall Heyer and I'm the worship arts pastor here at Cochrane Alliance Church. We are so glad that you've come to check out the latest sermon and we pray that you are encouraged, challenged, and ultimately that you are drawn closer to Jesus. Enjoy. Let's uh, pray together this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you, you are here by your Spirit. I thank you that you have chosen to dwell within us to make us a, a living and spiritual temple. And I pray that as we are in this place, that if there's anything that would hinder us from hearing what you are saying to us, that you would remove that in this place. I pray that your holy presence would fill this place because your people whom you have called to be holy are here. And so I pray that we would hear your voice. I pray that we would hear it through the word of Scripture through the speaking of your spirit within us and by even the words of our fellow believers and the words of the worship songs, that we would know that we are here today uh, in your presence. And so I pray that we would have a sense that, that we are one in the spirit, that we are a family, that we are the children of the most high God through uh, what Jesus has accomplished for us. And so I, I pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. So one of the things that I've always found difficult in life is waiting. I'm not very good at waiting, and I also find it's hard to wait for things when you know that what you're waiting for is going to make your life so much better. And so the hardest time that I ever had waiting was when I was waiting for Lori, that's my wife, to agree to marry me. So we'd started dating. I was, um, I wasn't, you know, in the evangelical world, sometimes people get married when they're like 19. Well, I didn't do that. My friends were all married and I was 22 and I wasn't married yet and my hair was thinning and I thought, I got to get onto this, right? Like I got to get moving on this and I met Lori and, and I was certain that Lori was perfect for me. And so after five months of dating, remember I'm 22, I'm losing my hair and I'm like, maybe we should get married. I don't know, maybe should we get married? And she was like, no. No, I was sure that she was perfect for me, and she was like, I don't know yet. So that's five months into dating. Um, another five months go by, we're at 10 months, and I think, well, now maybe, maybe she's ready. And in my defense, we'd gone out to Manitoba to meet her family in the wintertime. And you only go to Manitoba in the wintertime if you love somebody, because why else would you go? And so we're out in Manitoba, it's 10 months in, it's minus 38, um, and I'm like, so... What do you think the future holds for us? She's like, don't want to talk about it. Okay, not yet, not yet. Now, I've been saving up because I was like, I am sure that she's the one. So I was saving up for a ring. So as soon as she said not yet, there was a big flat screen TV on sale. So I took some of the money I've been saving for a ring and I bought this awesome flat screen TV. That was back when it was like finally getting HD and my roommates were like, whoa, we're going to watch hockey on a 55-inch HD TV. I was like, yes, we are. That is my gift to you. And it was awesome. It was totally worth it because we had that TV for like 10 years. So I guess she was right. So you come in like it was over a year of dating. And what happened is Lori went off to Thailand after her first year of teaching. And she really missed me. And she's like, okay, I guess maybe I should marry him. I kind of miss him. I like having him around. So that was really good. But, you know, Lori was wise. Like I was positive that she was the one for me. But I, I actually think that the waiting time was really good for us. The waiting was preparing us for this new life that we were going to have together, right? And we, we got to really learn things about each other without the pressure of living together. And, and we got to solidify in our hearts that this other person was really the right person for us. And, and we got to build that relationship without some of the pressures that come with marriage. And so Laurie, as she often is, was right. Waiting was really good for us. 
It was a, waiting was a time of preparing for our new life together. And I, I had this idea of waiting in my mind because when I came into our text today, I see that the believers were waiting. We're, we're looking at the, the birth of the church and how the church was breathed into life on the day of Pentecost. But before the Holy Spirit was poured out, the believers had to wait. So Jesus is meeting with them And it says this, that while Jesus was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which he said, you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So historically, the church has believed that there's about 10 days between the ascension of Jesus into the heavens and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. And I kind of wonder, you know, we live in a society that's, that's all about immediacy, right? Like something happens and something else happens. And so you kind of wonder, well, if Jesus ascended, why didn't the Spirit just fall that day? Why was there this waiting period? And I believe that that waiting time was a preparing time. It was, waiting is the place of preparation for what God has for us. Scripture is all about waiting. Wait upon the Lord. Be still and know that I am God. There's, you know, if we want to say it like this, God's economy is agrarian, Often in in scripture, there's this period of waiting. You plant the seed, you water it, you wait, it grows, you harvest. There's this length of time, and so there's this waiting time. And we know exactly what the believers did as they waited. In Acts 1.14, we read, they all met together continually for prayer. And if we keep reading in that text, we find out that there's about 120 believers that would gather together for those days every day for prayer. So the text is indicating to us that what they were doing when they were waiting is they were just waiting around like, I don't know, I guess maybe something will happen eventually. But they were actually coming together continually to pray together and to wait, to wait for what Jesus had promised to be given. To use Jesus' words, they were waiting for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So I just want to take a moment here to recognize a really important principle demonstrated by the early believers. And the principle is that prayer precedes doing, that prayer comes before we do anything. Personally, this is a principle that I consistently need to remind myself of. I've been a pastor now for 10 years, and so there's a part of me that kind of knows how to do church. And it can get very easy for me if I'm not mindful to just start doing the motions of church work and forget that what I really need to do is pray first. Pray before I do anything. The prayer comes before I start making all of these plans. And maybe some of you fall into that trap as well, that, that doing something is better than waiting. And perhaps deep down, sometimes we feel like doing something is even better than praying. It feels more tangible. Sometimes it might even feel like, well, praying is kind of wasting time. I know what I need to do. What we learn with the believers and kind of the entirety of Scripture is that prayer is the place of preparation and prayer is the catalyst for God to move amongst us. But imagine with me if you were one of those early believers and you were told by Jesus what your mission is, is you are to go and bear witness about me. But nine days later, you're still meeting in the same old room, doing the same old prayer meeting with the same old people. And you're kind of thinking to yourself, Jesus said go. He said wait, but he also said go. And I know that we're supposed to go, so why are we still here waiting? Maybe the gift has already come. So maybe you're getting impatient about it. But what we learn is that prayer is never wasted time, it's invested time. And what I find in in my life, and I'm assuming it's in yours because it's part of our culture and part of our society, is that we're, we're not very good at waiting. We never have been, but we're probably getting worse. I think about even how I grew up, we only had three channels in the house, and if you wanted to watch a movie or TV show, well, you had to be home to watch it. But now I can just go on my, I could get my phone right now and I could download a movie. Any movie I want, any TV show I want, any book I want, any song I want, I can have it right now immediately. 
And so I think some of the, the problem we have with prayer and waiting is that we live in a society that we don't have to wait for anything. We can have it immediately. And so I think the call on the church is to actually be counter-cultural in that sense and to come back to this place of waiting upon the Lord, of not assuming that we know everything that we're supposed to do, of not assuming that we know the best way forward, but that we would come in and that we would wait together upon the Lord. And that part of that waiting is praying. It's praying together and it's praying uh, for God to move amongst us. Prayer is the key to everything we do. And so as a church, we're actually starting now to examine the role of prayer in our, our church life. And even as a staff, we're cultivating habits of prayer that we want to invite the church family to participate in. And one of the prayer initiatives that we're going to be starting in October is a monthly prayer summit. So every Sunday evening, starting in October and then going every month, we're going to invite you as a church family to come out and pray with us to pray with each other, to pray, to pray for our community, to pray for our, our church and other churches, and to wait upon the Lord, to give space for God to move amongst us. And so I would, I would really encourage you that when you start seeing promos for the prayer summit, that you would come and join us in prayer. Prayer is the key to everything that we do. Prayer is, praying together is a part of preparing our hearts for God's work in our lives. And that's really what I believe the church needs to do is we need to come together in prayer and then we need to wait and be prepared for what the Holy Spirit is going to lead us into. I, I think that's what they were doing in those, those days of waiting in that, in that upper room is that their hearts were being prepared to receive the incredible gift of the Holy Spirit, right? Think about the incredible gift of the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God indwelling you, leading you, guiding you, empowering you, sanctifying you, speaking to you and through you. When you have the very presence and power of God within you, you can turn the world upside down. Think about, again, just think with me about the great gift of, of the Holy Spirit that is given to us. That the very presence of God would dwell within the believers. The dwelling place of the Lord on earth would now not just be amongst his people, but would be in his people. There was a time when God dwelt amongst his people in the Holy of Holies. And then there was a time when God came in the flesh and dwelt amongst his people in the person of Jesus. And the day of Pentecost takes us one step further, and instead of God dwelling with his people or amongst his people, he's now saying, I'm going to dwell within my people. And scripture says we become a temple of the Holy Spirit, that we become living stones in a spiritual temple. Can we just pause for a moment and, and recognize the great gift of the Holy Spirit that's been given to us? That the very presence of God dwells within you, that may, he makes you a holy temple? So 10 days of praying and waiting unite the believers Later, we're going to read that they were of one heart and of one mind. And prayer, combined with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, fused these believers into a new spiritual family. They were truly children of God, sealed by his spirit. For these believers are waiting. They're united in prayer and, and in love for one another. And then we read this in Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they're all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven and it filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This is the start of it all. This is the birth of the church. All of us can trace our spiritual heritage back to this day in history. And it's a really dramatic scene. So let's just try and imagine it for a moment, right? Like let's, let's immerse ourselves into what is happening here. So I'm going to imagine it's me, kind of my personality. So imagine you're coming in for the 10th day to meet with everyone. 
You've been waiting, you've been praying, you've been preparing for what Jesus promised would come, some sort of baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I don't know if you're fully aware of what that means. You're maybe thinking like, like maybe like David or maybe like the prophets of old. Like I'm not exactly sure what a baptism of the Holy Spirit is, but Jesus said that, that it would come. But it's been 10 days already. And so maybe you're wondering, well, how much longer is this going to go on? And so, you know, you begin to pray together and you're doing the kind of the same old thing, the same thing you've done for the past 10 days, when suddenly you hear this noise like a violent rushing wind and there's like a storm is coming. But before you can get to the window to look out, the room is filled with tongues of fire as it comes and settles on every believer. And can you imagine the sound of rushing wind and you see tongues of fire above everyone's head? The Spirit is poured out in such a way that no one who is there could deny the promised gift has come. Yet I want to point out that the audible and visible signs of the Spirit remind the believers that this is not some sort of weird mystical force or energy being sent. This is the very person, the living God indwelling them and among them. The wind and the fire remind us that this is God himself, God's very presence with them. The believers gathered in that upper room would not mistake what they were seeing. They would know the very presence of the Lord was with them because it came in wind and in fire. So let me just kind of go through that a little bit. Why wind and why fire? Well, often in the Old Testament, we read about the Spirit of God coming upon someone, and the word in the Hebrew is ruach that is used. And ruach can mean breath, spirit, or wind. And so in the Old Testament, we see either ruach hakodesh or ruach elohim, Describing God's presence and God's spirit. We see this in Psalm 51.11 where David says, Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Ruach HaKodesh from me, your Holy Spirit from me. Similarly, in Genesis 41, Pharaoh says of Moses, Can we find a man like this in whom there is the Ruach Elohim, the very spirit of God? So knowing that Ruach means wind, breath, spirit, we know that the believers would know that the sound of wind is the very presence of God amongst them. And for the disciples, they might be thinking back to something Jesus did, kind of something a little bit weird that Jesus did in John chapter 20, where Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So ruach means wind, breath, spirit. Jesus breathed on his disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit came, a sound of wind filled the room. So I would say this, that just as God breathed life into man, God breathed life into the church also by his Spirit. The event recorded on the day of Pentecost is the church coming alive, as the living God breathes life into the body of Christ, of which Jesus is the head in addition to the wind, we have a manifestation of fire. And if you know uh, your Old Testament, you'll kind of know that God's presence is often uh, seen in fire. He, he reveals himself in, in these fiery ways, right? I think about how did God reveal himself to Moses for the first time in a burning bush that was not consumed. And think about when the Lord led his people, the Israelites, through the wilderness. He was a, a cloud during the day and at night he was, he was amongst his people as a pillar of fire, and when they finally built the tabernacle where the Holy of Holy was, where the very presence of God was to dwell, we read this in Leviticus 9, that the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offering. And when all the people saw the fire, they shouted for joy and fell face down. Now that's the Old Testament, but in the, in the New Testament, we have John the Baptist prophesying about what would happen. 
In Matthew chapter three, John the Baptist says this, after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So you kind of put all this together and you know that the early believers are going, this is the very presence of God amongst us. This is not some sort of mystical force or, or spirit energy. This is the very presence of God here with us. And, and so they would know God is with us. God is here. And not only is God here, but he's come to dwell within us. And not only with us, but within us. Just like the prophets of old or the anointed kings of Israel, Ruach Elohim, the spirit of God is upon us. And that's why Peter says, he quotes Joel chapter two when he's saying, hey, now in these last days, God will pour his spirit out on all people. Because back in the day, it was the prophet or it was the king, but now it's all people will have the spirit of God upon them. And so Peter says this, he says, in the last days, God says, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. So we have new life and spiritual life in Christ because of the Holy Spirit at work within us. So I'm gonna make a statement that I believe is 100% true based on what the scripture teaches that you cannot live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. And when we reduce the Christian faith to a moralistic religion, sort of a try really hard to behave yourself now, right, based on these types of rules that we want or these types of rules that we see, if we reduce our faith to that, well, that's just the same old religion that everyone has. I could point you to any religion that has a bunch of rules that you need to follow. But Christians don't believe in simply behavior modification. We believe that we are made new creations in Christ and that we are empowered to live holy lives. Not because we're really good at living up to the standards of the law or because we're really good at pious self-devotion. We believe that we live holy lives because we are empowered by the very spirit of God living within us. And so of course our, our behavior might change but it's because of the spirit of God at work within us, renewing our minds with truth and sanctifying us with spiritual fruit. And so just as God breathed life into the believers of the early church by sending the Holy Spirit, so we too are still breathed into life by the same Holy Spirit. Your spiritual life and your spiritual vitality come from the Holy Spirit within you. As Paul would put it in Romans 8.11, he says, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. Or as Jesus would phrase it to Nicodemus in John chapter three, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again, for the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. And again, can you see the wind blows wherever it pleases and the wind filled the room and they were born of the spirit as they were baptized in the spirit. But the point is this, that the scripture points us to this, that there is no spiritual life or vitality without the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The entirety of our Christian lives must be lived with the knowledge that the Holy Spirit empowers us to live the new life in Christ and that it is actually impossible to live the Christian life without the indwelling and empowering of the Holy Spirit. That's one of the reasons Jesus is so insistent in that text that we read at the beginning when he commands he commands them, do not leave until the Holy Spirit is given. 
And I've heard sermons on this where they ignore the part about wait for the Holy Spirit and they just say, see, Jesus said go. And I'm like, actually, you're totally missing the point. He said, wait. <laughs> right? He didn't actually say, he said go, but not yet. Not until the Holy Spirit is given. And I think that that's actually, I heard a sermon like that and I think that's actually where we run into problems because we run ahead of where God is, is taking us. We say, okay, I know what to do. Thanks, God, I got it from here. And we don't go with the empowerment of the Spirit. We need to wait, receive, and then go because you cannot do the Christian life without the indwelling, empowering Holy Spirit. And so if we reduce our, our new life in Christ to simply a new set of rules, some behavior modification that we work hard to achieve, we miss the entire point of our faith. Sometimes when Christians, they, they get scared of the Holy Spirit or they downplay the Holy Spirit and what happens is they do, they tend to build a legalistic religion that says, here's all the rules. And what happens there is either they follow the rules really well and they become self-righteous or they can't follow the rules at all and they become kind of crushed and burnt out and defeated. But that's actually not what Christianity is. Christianity is literally being born again of the Spirit. It is being made a new creation in Christ. And I can't make myself new. The Holy Spirit that raised Jesus to life lives in us, raising us to spiritual life with Christ. Through faith in the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, we are dead to sin. And even Paul says that we are dead to the law, that's the law of Moses. And we are instead made alive in Christ. And if we walk in step with the Spirit, then we will live abundant lives because we're free from sin and free from the condemnation of the law. We're doing some Holy Spirit 101 theology, so it's a, it's a bit of a heavy teaching here, but just stay with me. The Apostle Paul puts it like this. Dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ. And now are you, you are united with the one who raised him from the dead. As a result, we can produce a harvest of good deeds for God. When we were controlled by our old nature, sinful desires were at work within us, and the law aroused these evil desires that produced a harvest of sinful deeds resulting in death. Here's the key. But now we have been released from the law, for we died to it and are no longer captive to its power. Now we serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the Spirit. And that last sentence is the key. We can serve God by living in the Spirit. God's law was good, but sin controlled us, and we couldn't live up to the law, so it then became a curse for us. And who can save us from this curse, Paul asks. Well, Paul says the answer is Jesus. Jesus saves us and forgives us, but then he goes a step further, and he says the Spirit allows us to live lives of obedience free from the power of sin, free from the condemnation of the law. Paul elaborates on this in Romans 8. He says, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. The, the reason I'm quoting all this scripture at you is so that we would all kind of come onto the same page and understand that scripture is really clear. You cannot live the Christian life without the empowering, life-giving spirit. It's not possible. Paul puts it like this to use some more scripture. He says, those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. So for the Christian, you've got two options. You've got let the Holy Spirit control you 
or go back to the old nature and let your sin nature control you. There's no middle road where it says, well, I'll just try really hard to be good. I'll just try really hard to to figure this out. It's you have to let the Holy Spirit control you. And the Holy Spirit produces spiritual fruit, produces spiritual gifts, sanctifies you. So the Holy Spirit brings life to the church, the body of Christ, and the Holy Spirit brings life to believers. But Scripture does also teach us that we don't always live in the fullness of the Spirit. I don't always live in the fullness of the Spirit. I wish I did. But sometimes I forget. Sometimes I'm not mindful. Sometimes I try and do things on my own. I'm sure you guys do as well. Sometimes Scripture says that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. We can grieve the Holy Spirit when we look at contempt on the gifts that the Spirit gives, when we mock those who may be walking in the Spirit and we kind of shun it or, or say we don't want it. We can grieve the Holy Spirit when we speak in anger at one another, when we, when we do things that, that kind of grieve the very Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. And so we have to, Scripture also kind of makes it clear that we have to choose to walk in step with the Spirit. We have to choose to be continuously filled with the Spirit. The Apostle Paul writes famously in Ephesians, don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled with the Spirit. And the Greek wording of this phrase implies that this is a continual filling of the Spirit. I know there's some people who are like, oh yeah, as soon as I come to faith in Christ, I got the Holy Spirit, I'm all good. And that's true, you did receive the Holy Spirit, because no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. However... However, we need to be mindful that every day we want to walk in step with the Spirit. Every day I want to be continuously filled with the Spirit. And so we can see it as a daily choice to wake up in the morning and literally, I mean, do this, say, Lord Jesus, this day is yours, this life is yours. Holy Spirit, control me. Holy Spirit, fill me. I can't do this without you. And then go about your day. But there's this mindfulness that I think is important for us. So for anyone here who's maybe been hesitant about any talk involving, you know, being filled with the Holy Spirit, my hope for you today is that as we've gone through this scripture is that you would see the absolute necessity of the Holy Spirit working in your life. You can't do this life without the Holy Spirit. We need to be mindful of what the Holy Spirit is doing in our life. And we can only follow Jesus by the power of the Spirit. This fall, we're going to learn from the early church. And at one point, it's said of two guys, Paul and Silas, when they enter the city of Thessalonica, the people in Thessalonica are like in an uproar and they, they go and they say, these are the men who've turned the world upside down. Well, I believe every church is called to be a world-changing church. I believe every believer is called to turn the world upside down as we live out the values of God's kingdom in a domain of darkness. But we're not gonna be able to do it in our own talent, our own skill, or our own knowledge. We must rely on the leading, guiding, and empowering of the Holy Spirit. And you're gonna see that through the book of Acts. Again, I'll give you one quick example. Paul's like, hey, I think it's a good idea to go to this place in the Roman Empire. And the Spirit of the Lord says, no. You can't go there. They say, well, how about here? And the Spirit of the Lord says, no, you can't go there. He goes to sleep. He has a vision of a man in Macedonia calling for him. He goes, I guess the Holy Spirit's leading us there. They go there, and the church in Philippi starts. That's what I mean about being led by the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that led the early believers, the same Holy Spirit that filled the early church is the same Holy Spirit at work in us today. And I believe the same Holy Spirit that did all the leading, guiding, and empowering in the book of Acts is how the church functions today. And so my prayer for the church family is that we would remember that Jesus told his followers this. He said, it is best for you that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the Holy Spirit, the advocate, won't come. But if I do go away, I'll send him to you. There's so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. 
But when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future, and he'll bring me glory by telling whatever he receives from me. Notice this. There's some things that they couldn't handle until the spirit comes. I want to tell you more, but you can't bear it. But when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into truth. And so my, again, my prayer for our church family is that we would press into the spirit-filled life with Christ, that we would eagerly desire a continual filling and empowerment of the spirit so we can live abundant lives in Christ. Like I said, I can forget the necessity of the spirit-filled life, and I'm sure you can too, and I just want us to bring, come back and say, without the Holy Spirit, we dry up. Without the Holy Spirit, we, we lack guidance, we lack empowerment, we even lack the ability uh, to live the holy lives we're called to live. The Apostle Paul actually prays for the church in Ephesus. I don't know if you guys remember this, but when I started here, I said, I want to pray over you a prayer that Paul prayed to the church in Ephesus. It's from, and, and he goes like this. There's one part of it that I think is so important. He prays that the Spirit would strengthen them further. So Paul says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he would strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being so Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I think this is so important. He doesn't say, I pray that you would be strong in your faith. He doesn't say, I pray that you would be able to do this in your own power. He says, I pray that by the Spirit, the Spirit would strengthen you in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. It's a necessity for us to be mindful of the work of the Spirit in us. Jesus is the head of his body, the church. And the Holy Spirit was given to bring life to the body. So just as the power of the Spirit raised Christ from the dead, so too the Spirit brings life to the body of Christ on earth today, his church. So the life of the church is, is the Holy Spirit. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool that we get the very presence of God dwelling within us, speaking with us, leading us, empowering us, producing godly fruit in us, and giving us gifts. So as we're going to take communion today, I just want us to be mindful that as we take it together, the very spirit of God is present in this place because he's present in us. That each one of us is a living stone in the spiritual temple. And so as we take communion today, this is a holy place for the holy God to dwell. What a great gift that is. So you can take your, your uh, cup and your bread here and you can bring the wafer out. And I was thinking about I was thinking about the body of Christ broken for us. But then I was remembering that that broken body was raised to life by the Spirit. And that same Holy Spirit that raised Christ to life lives within us and gives life to us. And so as we take of the bread this morning, let us be so thankful that Jesus did not leave us to figure this out on our own but that he sent the advocate, that he sent the spirit to dwell amongst us. So this is the body of Christ, which was broken for you. Let us take together. And this cup represents the blood of Christ which was shed for us for the forgiveness of our sins, and not only the forgiveness of our sins, but to make us children of the Most High God, united together in a spiritual family. Let us take together.
as the worship team comes up and gets assembled and ready. Let me pray over you. Heavenly Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, would you make it our heart's desire to walk in the Spirit today? We recognize that only as the Holy Spirit lives and empowers us will we be able to live a life that the Lord Jesus Christ would live in us. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would allow us to obey everything that Jesus commanded. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would produce godly fruit in our lives, that you would bind us together in love and in unity, in peace and in service for one another. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that if there are any gifts that you have given to us that have lain dormant in us, that you would fan them into flame because as a Spirit-filled church, we need the gifts of the Spirit to be here. I also would ask that you would forgive us, Holy Spirit, if there are any times we've grieved you, if there's any times we have quenched you by, by mocking something that you have been doing or, or looking down with contempt at something, forgive us for that, Holy Spirit, and enable us to respond and be sensitive to your voice. Give us the desire and the ability to be obedient to the word of God. And let it be our heart's desire that the Holy Spirit would fill us with his presence so we would walk in obedience and in faithfulness, in power and in love. We ask this in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen. Let's worship together.